According to the young earth crowd, Adam was created about 6,000 years ago, but some of the ruins on our planet's surface have been dated to between 8,000 and 12,000 years old, and they show a supreme level of intelligence in their structures that archaeologists can't even explain. What mysteries lie behind such ruins as Gobekli Tepe, Baalbek, and others? Is it possible that these archaeological sites were built before Adam's time? We're going to get into all of this right now. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Skywatch TV. I'm Joe Artis Horn. Today, we continue our explosive series on the brand new book, Before Genesis. But before we get into today's discussion, let me introduce the authors. He's a multi-time, critically acclaimed, best-selling author and founder of Skywatch Television, Dr. Thomas Horn. She's a credentialed, ordained reverend with a degree in Bible and theology, a powerful voice in Christian television, Donna Howell. His broadcasting career has spanned for more than 40 years. He's the best-selling author of the groundbreaking books, Last Clash of the Titans, The Great Inception, and The Second Coming of Saturn, Derek Gilbert. We are several weeks into this expose, and I fear we will still not get all of it out, even within the context of this episode. And I'm talking, of course, about the subject of discussion today, the brand new book from Defender Publishing, Before Genesis, The Unauthorized History of Tohu, Bohu, and the Chaos Dragon in the Land Before Time by Donna Howell and Dr. Thomas Horn, and of course, the companion DVD that we're going to talk to you about in just a minute, this phenomenal work. What Lies Beneath the Lost Secrets of the Watchers Below, Gobekli Tepe, by Derek Gilbert and Dr. Aaron Judkins. Friends, we have spent some time, haven't we, over the last few weeks talking about the old earth crowd, mm -hmm. the young earth crowd, scientific community, biblical community, and somehow these authors have managed to weave a compelling case to how the Bible actually weaves all of these differing factions together into yeah. one cohesive, coherent narrative yeah. that explains how old the earth actually is according to the word of God. Now, Tom, I want to dive right into this because there's so much ground yet to cover and only just a few more minutes to do it. The links you've observed between Lucifer his role as cherub and the serpent in the garden have led you to develop an astounding theory called the fifth watcher. What is all of this about? Yeah, well, first of all, let me correct or whatever, but let me give credit where credit is due. Actually, Gary Stearman came up with okay. this novel theory called The Fifth Watcher. I'm visiting with him one day. We're talking about the book of Revelation. You have these four cherub, and they're very strange, and we'll talk about that in a moment, in heaven. And uh, Gary says, yeah, but that doesn't include, whatever we were talking about, but that doesn't include The Fifth Watcher. Mm. And I said, what? The Fifth Watcher? Where, give me my Bible. Where's The <laughs> Fifth Watcher? I don't see him up there uh, at the throne of God. And he said, but I think that uh, before the fall, he said, I think Lucifer 
was a fifth watcher. First of all, he is called a covering cherub in the same kind of language as the four okay. cherub are referred to. He was a very powerful angelic uh, being. And he is described as having reptilian features. Now, here's what Gary pointed out to me. He said, note this about the cherub that are mentioned in the book of Revelation 4, 6 through 11. You have one cherub that has the face of a man, which we would think this cherub is a covering cherub. He has a responsibility for overseeing the welfare of humankind. He's got the face of a man. Now you've got a second one that's got the face of a lion. He said this would be the wild, undomesticated animals of the lands, the forests and the fields. This cherub has some responsibility for overseeing them. Then you have a third watcher that has the face of an ox, and this would represent domestic animals that can be made to serve humanity. They can be domesticated. And then you have this fourth watcher that has the face of an eagle. So this represents the animals that have capacity for flight or that are Mm -hmm. in the air. But where is a watcher that represents the reptilian species that is on the earth? And furthermore, even before that, what watcher would have been overseeing the dinosaurs, the great reptilians that are on the earth, if in fact it follows the same pattern? So he said, I think before the fall, he was the fifth watcher in heaven. He had the responsibility for overseeing the dinosaurs and other reptilians and also life in the sea, which are also not represented by these yeah. four cherub. But when he was kicked out of heaven, he became the Chicxulub asteroid per se, right? Struck the earth, impacted the earth. But his, his kingdom, the dominion over which he was given authority, all fell with him at the same time. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and that's why you saw these chaotic changes of the dinosaurs going from being herbivores to now they're meat eaters. So in this tohu void period of time, that's when the fifth watcher lost his dominion in heaven. And like Donna pointed out last week, Jesus refers to him as falling from the heavens like lightning, and he impacted the earth. And don't forget, too, that the Chicxulub asteroid that you're talking about took out a great number and permanently extinct in one day a large number of marine reptiles. Marine reptiles, and we're talking about something like 75 to 80% of all life on Earth at that time was made extinct. So this was phenomenal. One other thing I would say, Derek... Uh, This DVD that we are providing with the book, Mm -hmm. you recently interviewed Dr. Judson. You guys made an interesting point. So I'm listening to this. You said something that jumped out at me. And you said, note that these four cherub that are mentioned in the book of Revelation chapter 4 align with the four cardinal points of the Babylonian astronomical sky, right? What, What is the significance of that? That's the question, isn't it? And this actually, this is something we got from the late Dr. Michael Heiser. But when you got the the face of the the man, the eagle, uh, the the ox, and the uh, the lion, uh, you you basically are looking at north, south, east, west in the the Babylonian astronomical sky. And I don't think it's coincidental that uh, those are also the four faces of the cherubim, the four faces of the uh, the pagan representation of the uh, the cherubim, the uh, the Lamassu found at at uh, Nineveh, the ancient Assyrian kingdom. So I, I, I think it's a an acknowledgement that this entity that guarded the very throne of God with the four faces also represented the uh, the heavenly host, the heavenly army, as it were, the angels of God. And the north, south, east, and west, you know, there's a bit of a redundancy in the scriptures. I will call forth my angels from the four corners of the earth. Uh, That's kind of an ancient thinking, but it represents everything that is on this planet is being covered 
or maybe even polluted, mm -hmm. but by these forces. And a long time ago, I wrote a book, it's out of print, called The Gods Who Walk Among Us, and I introduced a novel idea that had come to me, and that was that why you often see in comparative religion studies, they'll say, well, the Bible's just borrowing from these other pagan cultures and what they believed, and so much of the Bible is just being ripped off. But <laughs> I, my thought was, no, there was, when God created Adam and Eve 6,500 years ago, there was an original revelation. He gave them knowledge and power, yeah. maybe even prophetically speaking. And then at the fall, everything became splintered. But these ideas were out there now with their kids, with their grandkids, and they got kind of drawn into the mm. pagan cultures. So they just started repeating something from the original revelation of God. This might be what the Babylonians were doing, was they actually borrowing from a revelation that God had given to Adam. And a revelation that had been twisted into sort of a fake news version by the principalities <laughs> and powers. You know, God created the fallen realm, or well, the spirit realm, the uh, the angelic realm, if you will, with free will, just, just as he did with... Mankind and yeah. uh, just like humanity, many of these angels chose badly. Now, are you saying, Derek, that the Babylonians were the first CNN and MSNBC? <laughs> <laughs> oh, we'll, we'll, let, we'll let the viewers decide oh, that. Yeah. <laughs> Donna, there are historical artifacts and archaeological sites all over the world that silently testify of an intelligence on Earth. Yet, if scientific dating methods are actually reliable, these findings would predate Adam, would they not? Right. So, in our book, we took and looked at three different possibilities here. The first possibility is that the dating methods are off because scientists make mistakes or they're trying to cover up a conspiracy or whatever the thing, they're hiding the truth, whatever the reason, the first possibility is that the sites are not actually as old as science believes that they are and right. that a mistake has been made there. Possibility number two is that Adam and his descendants were actually brought into the picture much earlier mm -hmm. than we understand them to be. The time of Adam is much longer ago than six to 10,000 years old, and that is equally a possibility here, in which case, if that is the case, then these old sites belong to Adam's descendants or possibly the descendants of the Nephilim of the giants and the great men of renown of old that uh, Genesis uh, 6, 1 through 4 mention as well. The third possibility, and this is the possibility that Tom and I took in the book, not because it's the most likely possibility, but because this is the way to respond to the mainstream voice out there, which is predominantly young earth. And it is that something or something else was here before Adam. Uh, and so a pre-Adamic race, be it fallen angel, be it something else, be it monkey men that we seem to keep on clinging to in our science textbooks, whatever it was, something was on earth prior to the time of Adam. So Donna, in a lot of my historical research, we've seen relics like old things that look like a computer or the Anunnaki in ancient Samaria wearing things that look like a watch. What kind of relics and intelligence do these old sites display? Well, actually, so the intelligence is actually so advanced that we don't have, a lot of these things are called out-of-place artifacts, uparts for short. And that's another one of those terms. The minute somebody says upart, the archaeologists and the scientists all run into a hole and go, oh, I'm so embarrassed. I can't believe we're still talking about uparts. The reason <laughs> for that is because oftentimes, because we can't explain them, the ancient astronaut theorists come out and they say aliens, 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 aliens. And that's part of the reason why when you hear uparts, everybody you know, cringes and shrinks. <laughs> but to just give you a couple of examples here, one of the uparts we cannot explain is the gate of the sun and the site of Tiwanaku. Now, Tiwanaku 
The whole site is astounding. But specifically of the Gate of the Sun, this was carved from a single monolithic stone, itself weighing 20,000 pounds, and it was transported from a quarry 10 miles away over land and sea. If you look at what the Tiyanawakans did, how they lived, what they did, they, they lived in little reed boats when they were on the water. So how do you transport 20,000 yeah. pounds in a single stone in a little reed boat across the water? You don't. That's the, that's the thing. And then the mystery. <laughs> Some archaeologists, of course, date this particular stone to be between 12 to 14,000 years old. Uh, and that is in part that dating comes from its astroarchaeological nature. And what that means is astroarchaeology is the study of understanding the ancients and how they studied the sky and what they understood about the sky. And what they understand about the sky in this particular case cannot be explained. First of all, it features a round earth, not a flat earth that is understood to be like the predominant explanation of what the shape of the earth was in ancient thought and concept. Second of all, it details astrological phenomena in relation to equinoxes and solstices, like what on earth, right? It's got the latitudinal position of the civilization as it would have appeared on a GPS system at the time, precisely. It's got the obliquity of the ecliptic or the axial tilt. What that basically means is the alignment of the angles between Earth's rotational axis and its orbital axis. How did they know these things? <laughs> right. What in the world? Uh, it goes on to talk about complex mathematics. This is all on one gate. This is one artifact I'm talking about. Complex mathematics, including the proper ratio of pi, square roots, degree angles, and their practical trigonometrical uses in construction and uh, astronomy. And then, of course, the deity at the top of the gate is Viracocha, also Quetzalcoatl. And this is the sea-traveling serpent god mm -hmm. who created the sun, the moon, the stars, and giants. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> what on earth? So all of this has come. Now listen, this is no, it's not just the gate here. This gate and the rest of Tianawako is in a site that is just barely under 13,000 level elevation, which means that any human living there for longer than two or three days would hyperventilate and die. So you've got a whole bunch of these early humans that have this all figured out. They know everything that's going on, everything that I've just said, they comprehend it. It's a miracle transporting 20,000 pounds in a reed boat uh, 10 miles over land and sea and then at the end of the day, they're doing all of this while hyperventilating to death, <laughs> and they can't even last long yeah. enough to procreate. Right. Mm. Really. So in the middle of all of this, Tianawako, <laughs> according to where they can trace from its beginning to its end, they know that this site was inhabited for at least half a century. How? This is what I'm saying. This is just one artifact, one upart. This goes on and on and on and on. And there's a lot that can be said about some of these other places, but that's just one example. Well, Donna, Tiawanako is just one tip of the iceberg, as you've just mentioned. I mean, I've heard so much about another site, and we've been talking about this place called Gobekli Tepe. It's on the cover of the DVD. I mean, you're going to learn about this very soon, mm -hmm. what archaeologists believe to be the Earth's oldest ruins. But besides intelligence... Some of your research has uncovered a religious nature as well, right? Yes, actually. And of course, Derek will be able to weigh in a lot of this. But just to give you a really quick bullet point rundown here. Now, only 5% of the site has been excavated as of yet. But that we know of, there is no evidence anywhere close that a settlement was ever nearby. They didn't 
have any place to be fed and housed while all of these workers constructed this ancient site that we understand, this religious city. The oldest layer is pre-pottery Neolithic, which means, of course, it dates us back to the time that human beings were, if we were there at all, we couldn't construct a clay pot, right? Okay, that's <laughs> right. what we're looking at. Somewhere in the ballpark of 10,000 to 6,500 BC. Nobody knows who constructed Gobekli Tepe. There are many theories, but nobody knows for sure. Meanwhile, there are these T-shaped pillars everywhere at the site, and they are up to... 20 feet high and 40,000 pounds each up to so several of them are smaller mm -hmm. and serpents are everywhere serpents are everywhere in this site in fact i've got a quote here the archaeologists say uh that some of these places depict and i quote groups of male snakes pursuing a female with the intention of mating genesis 6 1 through 4 anyone Archaeologists also uh, report in the Snakes of Gobekli Tepe, an ethological consideration, that's the name of the article here, they say the animal most frequently depicted is the snake, most likely the Macrovipera labitina, the venomous blunt-nosed viper, which is evidence for a biblical theology that featured supernatural watchers, a term for the fallen angels of Luciferian origin. Mm -hmm. This oh. is secular archaeologists <laughs> that are saying this is what is being depicted in Gobekli yeah. Tepe. They're not trying to prove the Bible. Half of them don't even believe in it. And then, of course, Klaus Schmidt, which everybody in the archaeology world knows that he is like the expert excavator, the original guy here. He says that this site was absolutely not under no circumstances built by ragged bands of hunter-gatherers and that the hundreds of thousands of pounds of carved stones dedicated to the serpents would have required, and I quote, hundreds of workers all needing to be fed and housed. How? When there's no settlement nearby. Right. Well, you'll have to hold your thought. We're going to get Derek Gilbert in on this in just a second. But before we do that, ladies and gentlemen, we want to make sure that you know how you can get your copy of this incredible new book in the Before Genesis Master Collection. When you order the Before Genesis Master Collection from the skywatchtvstore.com, you'll receive the brand new book, Before Genesis, the Unauthorized History of Tohu, Bohu and the Chaos Dragon in the Land Before Time by Dr. Thomas Horn and Donna Howell. In this phenomenal new work, you'll learn about the debate raging between the old earth and the young earth creationist groups, what the earth was like during the without form and void era of Genesis 1-2, how ancient archaeological sites like Gobekli Tepe and the doorway of the serpent point to an intelligent race of beings on earth alive before the time of Adam and under Lucifer's fallen influence. And for the first time ever, the conclusion to the events of Genesis that merges all contributing voices from not only the young and old creationist groups, but the scientific community as well into one balanced and agreeable climax. But that's not all. You'll also receive the amazing DVD, What Lies Beneath, The Lost Secrets of the Watchers Below Gobekli Tepe, featuring archaeologist and author Dr. Aaron Judkins and best-selling author Derek Gilbert as they reveal Gobekli Tepe's historical use as a place of watchers' worship, the evidence of a cult that venerated human skulls and reptilian creators, and the links between the god of Gobekli Tepe and the Bible. Also included in this must-have master collection are the digital, downloadable ebook versions of the Earth's earliest ages, Unearthing the Lost World of the Cloud Eaters, and the Apocrypha, including the Book of Enoch. 
These three masterpiece works will be available for download immediately when you place your order for the Before Genesis Master Collection and are being included in this offer absolutely free. All of these items hold a retail value of over $85. Yours now for your donation of only $35 plus shipping and handling. So don't delay. You can scan the QR code on your screen using the camera app on your phone for instant access to this special opportunity. You can also visit us at skywatchtvstore.com or call 1-844-750-4985 and ask for the Before Genesis Master Collection right now. Now, Derek, you recently interviewed Dr. Aaron Judkins, who is an expert, by the way, on the Gobekli Tepe site. Uh, what were some of the conclusions that he had come to? And I believe that many of those are in this DVD that is available with this offer, correct? Right, yeah. He's written a book called Guardians of Gobekli, and uh, his theory, and he's worked uh, with our friend uh, Dr. Judd Burton on this as well, is that this was an evidence of watcher worship, which is interesting that they reached the same conclusion as the secular researchers. Now, obviously, they're approaching this from a Christian worldview, but uh, the imagery of the serpents that are so prominent on so many of those, those T-shaped pillars, which are generally believed to represent the human torso, uh, is just really stunning. And some of them, there are so many serpents that it looks like he's wearing like a, a shirt, like almost a male shirt made up of these crisscrossing serpents across the back of the T. As, as Donna mentioned, th th this is really phenomenal that you're in an era that not only is pre-pottery, it's before the wheel. So you're moving these right. massive pieces of stone without the use of a wheel. Forget about using a cart. You're basically having to drag these pieces of stone. Were there settlements nearby? Um, we, we know that the closest water source to what's been excavated is about three miles away, which means that as you're digging in the sun of southern Anatolia in the summertime uh, to excavate these things, you've got to be hauling water for miles for the workforce. Um, you would assume that the workforce would have to walk to the job site, clock in sort of like Fred Flintstone back in the day, <laughs> and uh, begin your workday. Now, again, with 95% of the site not yet excavated, it's possible that they will uncover dwellings, but the fact that what they found so far is so clearly focused on a religious aspect that is absolutely astonishing, and this is why you've got such attention being paid to it, and so many theories that uh, range from, um, well, again, secular archaeologists say, yeah, this is clearly a religious site, to some that are just really way out there, you know, dealing with, you know, sky gods or whatever. From a Christian perspective, looking at this as um, a, a, a place of veneration of the small g gods who once walked the earth. I think that is probably closest to the accurate description of what's found at this site. And what is really astonishing is that the Turkish archaeologists have discovered 11 other sites nearby, Karahan Tepe, which is probably even older, and 10 others that are in that vicinity. They call them Tas Tepele, which means the stone hills, because these T-shaped pillars are a constant theme. And so now that begs the question, why there? Mm -hmm. What was it about that era? area? And isn't it interesting that it was from that very location, Haran, nearby, where God called Abraham, and from him, eventually, Isaac, Jacob, and eventually the Messiah? Yeah, and in fact, you know, what's interesting is that there are secular uh, researchers that argue that uh, that area right there, Gobekli Tepe specifically, 
uh, might have been the location for the Garden of Eden because of the way the rivers around it uh, come together that are described uh -huh. in the Bible. There's others that say the oral traditions about Gobekli Tepe were actually carried into the land of Canaan by the first Israelites so mm -hmm. that they would have had some knowledge of it. So there's, there's just stuff there that you could hardly wait for them to excavate it, but then should we? Because if it was built, if <laughs> That's it was right. built by the watchers, well, wow. there's this possibility that there's knowledge that was buried there to preserve it after the flood. Well, and you used the right word, buried, and that's the thing that is really stunning when you, you see the size of the site. And again, understanding that what's excavated, which is already a pretty big site, UNESCO or the United Nations has designated it a UNESCO World Heritage Site uh, for good reason. We should learn from it, but what is not understood is why it was buried. After so much intentionally. work, it was and it intentionally that they rushed buried. to bury it. Right. Intentionally backfilled. Right. Now, when I talked to Aaron Judkins and also uh, privately with Dr. Judd Burton about it, their belief is that perhaps those who built the site realized that those that they had been venerating, these supernatural entities, weren't the good guys. <laughs> they don't actually have our best interests in mind, and suddenly they decided to cover it all up and bury it. Now, there are other sites in the ancient Near East, such as near Gilgal Rephaim, where similarly, religious sites have been ritually buried and then abandoned. But uh, why there? Why such a big site? And again, if this is just one of a collection of a dozen or more sites, what was going on there? And who were these serpentine entities that were worshipped? Now, there's another theory because I think uh, Dr. Judkins believes that Gobekli Tepe was built following the Great Flood. But yeah. there's others who argue that it was built before the Great Flood. Right. And that there was knowledge built into the, the structures there, the religious right. community, that the watchers wanted to be preserved so that it could be discovered and survive the great flood. That's a theory that's among a lot of people. Now, uh, just one quick thing. In the book of Jubilees, um, there's a pattern for this kind of an idea where it says, Jubilees chapter 8, uh, that, and I'll do this quick, in the 29th Jubilee in the first week, in the beginning thereof, Arpachshad uh, took to himself a wife named Rasu Aja, uh, and uh, the daughter of Susan, the daughter of Elam, and the bear son, the third week. Anyway, it's, it's a kid named Canaan is born. And uh, you go down through the, yeah, down through, but then it says this. It says, the son grew, and his father taught him writing, and he went to seek for himself a place where he might seize for himself a city, and he found a writing which former generations had carved into the rock. This is right after the flood, wow. carved into the rock. He transcribed it and sinned against owing it, for it contained the teachings of the watchers. Mm. Um, wow. And so this was something that had been created before the flood, like an intentional effort to preserve yeah. some knowledge, mm. mysticism, magic, whatever, of the watchers. This is in the book of Jubilees, which again, some believe uh, should be in the canon and, and is in the Bible of like the Catholics and the Eastern Orthodox and so on. So there's, whether it's scripture or not, it's an ancient book yeah. and it provides this pattern that there was an effort to preserve the knowledge of the watchers. So this is why I think some people believe that Gobekli Tepe might have something there that like you say, once we uncover it, we might wish we wouldn't. Have. Yeah. And, and we are only, we're only in it, Tiwanaku, Gobekli Tepe. 
<laughs> like there's so much more. And in, and in the book before Genesis, there's a lot more uh, illustrations, a lot more of this kind of information. Your library, whether you are a Christian or not a Christian, your library is not complete. Now, I'm not just pitching a book. I'm telling you, this is my favorite book ever published by Defender <laughs> Publishing. It's amazing. It's unprecedented. And it accomplishes something that no other book on the subject ever has. And you've waited, what, almost 14 years yep. to put it out? Begging every theologian. And they're saying, mm, mm, mm. <laughs> Don't want to be a part of the war. War three. Yep, don't want to be a part of the war. But now it exists in Before Genesis. <laughs> Unfortunately, we're all out of time. But join us next week when our guests return to talk about Karahan, Tepe, six-fingered entities of the past, half-snake, half-human characters depicted in stone, Baalbek's enormous rocks transported from ancient quarries for which we have no explanation and so much more if that's not enough. Ladies and gentlemen, for everybody here in studio, everybody on panel, thanks again for joining us once again. I'm Joe Artis Horn. Keep your eyes on the prize, which is Jesus Christ. We'll be back. Thank you.